Good morning, church. If you're surprised uh, that Jeff Kreider is not here and you were here last week, uh, Jeff told us that he's going to be traveling with his family and for the next four weeks, you're getting an elder uh, filling in. And I told Jeff that uh, people will be very thrilled when he's back, I'm sure. But uh, my name is Brad Stevens. I serve as one of the elders here and uh, Jeff asked me to pick up here and see what we could do We're talking about the J-curve. For those who are uh, coming in remotely and you've not heard of the J-curve, I'm going to point you back to our website and tell you that for me to explain the J-curve would take all the time uh, today. So uh, the sermons are posted and I highly recommend that if you've not been following this series, it is great material and uh, would suggest that anyone who wants access uh, certainly can listen to the prior messages to have a better understanding of what the J-curve is all about. In my uh, estimation, uh, I think that the J-curve really is a uh, understanding of faith in ways that we don't often think about it. Uh, faith, I believe, is uh, a bunch of paradoxes. And, you know, a paradox is a contradiction. And, you know, an example of that would be something like, uh, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The world tells us, you know, gather and, you know, make yourself rich. But, you know, the Bible tells us that the person who gives is the one who's going to be blessed. Uh, those kinds of uh, contradictions are what we call a paradox. Uh, the Bible is full of them. Uh, other examples, if you wanna be great, uh, then you become a servant. Uh, or for example, the concept of the Trinity, we don't even find the word Trinity in the Bible. And we have you know, the first commandment telling us, Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and yet we, look at God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our world, one doesn't equal three, but you know, for God, it does. And so these paradoxes uh, are an under, help us and give us some insights into an understanding of what we're talking about. I've discovered that uh, we sometimes uh, find ourselves in a situation where we just say, this is really hard. And it reminded me of a scripture over in Hebrews 5, verses 11 to 14, that I just kind of wanted to share as a starting point here this morning. We read there, about this, we have much to say that is hard to explain. And that's how I'm feeling right now. This is hard stuff. Since you have become dull in understanding, for by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. The oracles of God is pointing back to the Old Testament. Back then, they didn't have the New Testament yet. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness but solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice 
to distinguish good from evil. I'm going to suggest to you that uh, life is a battle on the cosmic level, and it is a battle between good and evil. And for us to be effective, we need to understand what God wants us to do. I wanted to kind of pick up where Jeff left off last week from Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and focus closely on what we're trying to achieve when we talk about the J-curve in this way. In Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, it says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And my first question is, how do we do that? Well, number one, I think we have to love God with all our heart. And that sounds so easy because we've learned that is the first commandment. But how are you doing with that? Uh, how do we measure how much we're loving God? I would suggest that for many, uh, your checkbook is a good place to start. Uh, you see, what you love is what you cherish. And how are you using things that God has blessed you with? Number two, I would suggest you have to commune with God by consuming his flesh and drinking his blood. That sounds almost barbaric, and in some circles, circumstances, it was a charge against the early Christians that when they snuck out into the tombs to worship on Sunday mornings, that people accused them of cannibalism because of this uh, idea. But when Jesus was on the earth, during the time of the second Passover of his ministry, he went out into the desert and masses of people followed him. And he fed them with five loaves and two fishes, uh, and they liked that. But when he began to preach and told them that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have any part of me, many of them departed. You see, that's the issue. Being with God means that we ingest him on a daily basis. And we're not talking about physical food, but the type of food that comes from communion where we do have contact with a physical element to remind us that this is spiritual food that feeds our bodies and our souls. Number three, you have to invite God into your heart. And I find it such an easy thing to say and again a difficult thing that for people to do. I've discovered that uh, prayer is the avenue by which one can actually feel the presence of God. We have a little group that meets on the first Saturday of each month up here. It's uh, headed up by Wooly and Bose Akunde and this group of little prayer warriors uh, meets regularly. And, you know, we're lucky to have six to ten people, maybe. And I've often thought that if somebody said, would you like to go meet God today? And uh, 
most people would be saying, no, I'm, I'm too busy, I've got too much to do. I really think that uh, we undervalue prayer as a medium, but with an understanding of that prayer invites you into the presence of God, that is how we begin to understand the mind of Christ. Every time we partake of his death, burial, and resurrection, we're being born again. And baptism is thing that we do once, but we're living in that kingdom of God in ways that is, is battled every day. And so our focus has to be on trying to be like Jesus. So the question, what would Jesus do, is what I try to use to make decisions in my life. And I find that every time you do something because that's what Jesus would do, you will be blessed. Jesus said that even giving a cup of cold water in his name, you would not lose your reward. And so if you wanna have a life that has less stress, less uh, concern and drama, what I found is if you can ask yourself that question, what would Jesus do? It's amazing how I think the Holy Spirit indwelling us will put the words into your brain at that point in time. If you do those things and recognize that this is not me, it's not what I want to do, but I know it's what God wants me to do, your life will be blessed. And I have found that it is one of the most easiest things to do and at the same time, paradox, it's most difficult to remind myself that when you get caught up in the burdens of life, we need to focus on trying to put Jesus first. So go down to verse six now of uh, Philippians uh, two. Who through, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. And that is something that is, uh, to me, a word picture. If you could picture a bowl, and in this bowl, there is something of, we're gonna call the divine nature. In that divine nature, uh, there's a Greek word for it, morphe, uh, is being tipped over and being poured out and going down. And the words that he emptied himself, the Greek word there is kenosis, being a pouring out. And as Jeff talked about last week in the J curve, there is a going down first before there is an upward movement on the J curve. And so we see that Jesus poured himself out and took the form of a slave being born in human likeness. See, the reality is we are all slaves. Now you may say, Brad, the 13th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States bans slavery, and that's true. We still struggle with the results of that even to this day. But in the spiritual world, 
the reality is every one of us is a slave. We're either a slave to God or we're a slave to something else. In Luke 16 and 13, Jesus said, no slave can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And so the struggle and the battle every day is how do we serve God and how do we deal with our physical possessions? We come into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. But what we do matters to God. Our conduct and how we live is what the battle is all about. You see, God knows your heart. Somehow we think we can have thoughts apart from that, but the truth is God knows everything that is going on. And what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. And the reality is we have a choice. I believe that human beings are one species and that everyone who comes into this world, unfortunately, is going to sin. We cannot escape it. it. It is there, it is a reality, it is a consequence of the fall. And it's not a, it goes back to Adam and Eve, uh, that original sin basically uh, makes it impossible for us to live a perfect life. Well, we're gonna be a slave, but you get to choose. Who do you wanna be a slave to? So the decision that you have, the choice, is do you want to accept the gift of what Jesus has done on the cross, or do you want to live your own life for yourself and decide what you want to do? The decision you make affects you where you will spend eternity. And so this is serious stuff. It is what we are all about, and it's why we want to be able to understand what the battle is. Now, going back to um, Philippians 2, beginning at verse 7, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, if Jesus came into the world poured out himself and was willing to wash the feet of the man who would sell him out for 40 pieces of silver, what should we expect? Even Jesus had to learn discipline through suffering. In Hebrews, it says that, uh, you know, if we're sons of God, we'll understand that suffering is part of the process. But the good news is, and this again, the paradox, Jesus died for you. And the question is, are you willing to live for him? So death becomes life if we allow him to enter our hearts and to change what we believe and what we do. The result is, and here's the upside of the J-curve, verse 9, Therefore God also highly exalted him 
So that is the curve coming up. And just as God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus has said that if you will abide in him, he will abide with you forever. Church, our job is simply to take that message to the world. And it's a simple enough message that even in the first century, they didn't have a New Testament until 300 years later. But that message changed the world. And it was because people believed it and they lived it and they were willing to die and to suffer for their faith. They were often tested by saying, who is Lord? And the Roman Empire said Caesar is Lord, but for the early church, they knew who their Lord was. Jesus was able to dodge that question to him by the Pharisees about the question between who, is in, who has the ultimate authority by saying, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. And that battle is what we still struggle with today. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he died for us and that message is the message that the world needs to hear. And I thought Jeff's point last week was so on point that uh, is the world even capable of hearing that message in this time that we live? I would say that we are the ones who are responsible. We are a priesthood of all believers and each and every one of us has the ability to share that good news with all whom we love and those whom we come in contact with and even our enemies. That's what I hear the good news is all about.